Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Vimeo. By now, I hope you know that Vimeo has all kinds of amazing movies you can watch on demand. I've recommended my favorites you can check out at vimeo.com slash IndieWire. If you're a filmmaker and want to sell your movie or series on Vimeo Demand, all you need is a pro account. You can set your own price, create promo codes, add bonus features, and there's even an embeddable HD feature with a purchase button, which means people can go and buy and watch your film anywhere on the web. Vimeo only takes 10%, which is really the best in the business. Go to vimeo.com slash start selling and use the promo code ERIC20 for 20% off. This week I'm recommending The Visit. No, not the M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's Michael Madsen's inventive documentary about how various government and science authorities might react to an alien arrival on Earth. Use the promo code ERIC20 at vimeo.com slash IndieWire to get a 20% discount on the visit right now. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Film Critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson from Thompson on Hollywood, and we're seated together in Ann Thompson's hotel room, which is right next to mine. It's one of the coziest environments we've had yet. Nothing going on, I assure you. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, Ann, because I feel like we were just in this high mountain town in Telluride, kind of going through all these new fall movies, and it felt like, okay, we made it through that hurdle, maybe we can relax a little bit. But here we are at the beginning of the Toronto Film Festival, and it's like, it just keeps coming, and in the next 24, 48, 72 hours, we'll have a whole new crop of movies. Sometimes I wonder if it's even worth it, because there's just so much stuff. Doesn't it seem like it's just an overwhelming number of movies that all show up at this time of the year? I've been going through this, uh, luckily, long enough so that even though there's a temptation to get sort of panicky at this moment, because it's impossible to have your schedule completely nailed down. Like, for example, I just came into the room knowing we had to do our thing, right. and I had gone and gotten my badge and gotten my uh, schedule, and they've changed the location of the press office. They've changed the schedule so that it's How different. How dare they? You know, <laughs> so you have to adjust. And then, you, you know, tonight is the opening night. We have Demolition from Fox Searchlight, the movie that um, is not opening in 2015 and is right. not in the Oscar race. But so it's Jean-Marc Vallée, who's beloved by Canadians everywhere. He's opened so. all his films in mm-hmm. Toronto. So Dallas they gave, Fox Searchlight gave him this. It's a gift. Right. You know? How sweet of them. And they're not doing a whole lot of press here. They're saving right. it for later. So this is not a case where they're going to change their mind or this is an Oscar contender or whatever it is. They're right. opening it next year. And but then three hours after Demolition is Where to Invade Next, the Michael Moore film. So I mean, and Which there's is an been, acquisitions an title. Acquisition. So there's all kinds of stuff showing up so all that's, at once. So these are big world premieres. And, you know, so I have to check my, my email. Where am I supposed to pick up the ticket? If I don't pick up the ticket in time, you know, are they going to give me one at the theater everybody has different rules right it's true so in this case i'm not going to schlep over to the royal york to pick up the ticket they're going to give it to me in front of the theater i'm happy all good i have to get dressed up you have to get into your dark clothes right i'm always wearing dark clothes so that's never really too much of a problem (laughs) (laughs) one thing that i like about toronto though is as a experience is that 
it's many things to many different kinds of people. I mean, there's well over 200 movies in the program. Nobody can see all of them, so everybody has a different kind of a festival experience, which in some ways is a pretty good reflection of how different people like different kinds of movies. I mean, And everybody has a different agenda. I mean, right. for example, you are looking for world premieres to review. You're looking for the movies you have to see in order to interview someone at one of our TIFF talks. Right. We have talks. to be well-informed when it comes time to do our podcast uh, later That's right. next this week. This coming Tuesday at noon. And then, which we're doing live here. And then, then um, I'm much more interested in the Oscar contenders right. and, and, and I need to be informed uh, about that, some of the acquisitions, the hot acquisitions title, like the Michael Moore, right. of course. One of, actually a few, according to a lot of the buyers that I've been talking to, in spite of the fact that there are lots of available movies here, if we're talking about North American buyers, not a lot of people are going to jump on the edgy foreign language films, as crass as it sounds. So even though Toronto is filled with potential discoveries from just a cinephile perspective, it doesn't seem like the market is as hot as sometimes it's been. Well, you have the smaller buyers, uh, you know, who are going to take their time and not overpay. Sure, a Marcus um, Who or Richard Lorber from exactly. Kino Lorber. Exactly, and when we were up in Telluride, it was interesting. Daniel Batsek threw a party for Cohen Media because they have more movies than usual sure. in the mix, and they seem to be expanding a, t a tad you know so i mean netflix is going to be looking for docs still mm -hmm. they have a pretty healthy appetite for right. documentaries especially if there's possibilities for the oscar and and amazon is going to be looking for stuff they but keep is hovering. there anything commercial <laughs> that's what you're asking right, exactly i mean I, yeah more power to those small folks who can work with the scale that is necessary on a business side of things to release a movie that only certain people are going to go see. But these big discoveries, the things that can actually play for audiences all over the country, I mean, I, I just haven't really heard too much about things that might have that potential. What's interesting about Netflix and Amazon is that they're not playing by the same rules. So some of the internalized right. understandings that we have about what what is big enough and perfect enough and robust enough in terms of critical acclaim and sure. star value and you know for VOD or for theatrical right. these these rules do not apply to them Beasts of No Nation which played in Telluride which is a superb piece of, of work an extraordinary movie it's it's a little scary to think about that in terms of how it would play theatrically and Netflix is willing to lose that money they don't care they want it to be in the Oscar conversation, so they're willing to put it out there. They can afford it. They've got the money. Sure. They're going to make the money. They know. They've done their algorithms. They've right. done their... Well, that's, that's what you're hitting on. a movie it, that's going to play for, 20, for 65 million subscribers sure. all over the world. And, and one of the things about that that's kind of fascinating is that these guys go where the data takes them in a way that we don't always see. I mean, sure, they're doing Adam Sandler movies because they know that Adam Sandler movies do still well. Has a, he still yeah, has a They following. can see things. So there, there's another piece of the equation that could also inform the sort of acquisitions that they're making as well that we just don't have access to, whereas we can look at you know, a more traditional distributor and say, oh, well, they do well with this kind of a movie. With the Netflix thing, we don't even really know, and we won't even know how well Beasts of No Nation does. You know, I heard the other day that when you could review movies on Netflix, there was some sort of rough estimate of how many people were watching your movie because Netflix somehow got it out there that there was an average number of people who grade movies on Netflix, and if you multiply it by something, that would give you a sense of what the actual viewership was. 
You can't rate movies on Netflix anymore. Ah, so. <laughs> they're not they're interested in giving those numbers out either. Right. They're really not. Because I, so, I, they had a I mean, part of the changing landscape that we're talking about. They had a part. Uh, tell you right. Yeah. Netflix had a party. Right. It was so good. And there were so many people there. And, and by the way, Reed Hastings, who I got to meet. You know, how cool is that? Right. You know, and Idris Elba, you right. know, hanging out and having a drink. Luther yeah. was at this party. You saw, the, you saw that whole world. <laughs> come alive and really but you know what's fascinating about it is that it, it almost seems like these platforms are at war with distributors or competing with distributors whereas Netflix why would you used, say at war because in so, on some level these platforms used to be an outlet that distributors could rely on at this point they're in the same arena looking for different kinds of right. content right but, but i mean from compete. the point of view let's let it look at it from a different point of view from the point of view of of lovers of cinema right i mean the amazon team if you look at the amazon team who who are they there's ted hope friend of independence sure. very classy guy good taste right bob bernie, bob scott bernie found same is, thing yeah. scott found his same thing new guy named rom who's their acquisition right. guy rom very very sharp sure and worked at cinetic media he'll help scott with his deals right you know? exactly since that's not what scott knows how to do um but the point is these are all uh people with a good deal of taste why can't amazon also pick up smaller more arcane, more artful movies. Why aren't they in competition? They're more in competition, perhaps, with Sony right. Pictures Classics and and Focus. It's all a hypothetical at this but point. But we don't know. We have to read know. the tea leaves with the stuff they've been involved with so far. The the Spike Lee movie, you know, so forth. Chirac, right? Yeah, these these are these are art arty. I think what what might be a missed opportunity if nobody's going for them are are actually these edgy films that a lot of distributors think aren't commercial because if you have say an Amazon subscriber base or a Netflix subscriber base at least in theory you should be able to do something with movies that could potentially find an audience that other distributors who have to deal with the logistics of you know relying on more traditional theatrical revenue for for, for one but, but example the, the, what's really weird about that whole universe is that you've got this sort of aging boomer demo you know going you know lady in the van Grandma, there's a reason why Sony Pictures Classics is making these movies. They know, and why Bleecker Street picked up, you know, I'll See You in My Dreams, or, yeah. or Danny Collins, or whatever. These are movies that are playing to a very specific, theatrical, reliable demo. But are they really reliable still? I mean, they those people are up. watching VOD still, they do. too. No, but so. honestly, look at the look at the numbers. The ones who are showing up at the theaters are the older ones. Right. And it's that's why so many bastion. people are targeting. I mean, Grandma's a hit, you know? It did well. And so did the other one, uh, the other ones I mentioned. Right. So, so I think that you have that sort of skew, and then you have a, a hipper, younger uh, much more questionable, not as reliable theatrical audience that Searchlight chases after and sometimes gets, but sometimes they don't. Like like um, Earl, me and Earl and the Dying Girl. But I think me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And the Diary pretty, of a Teenage Girl for Sony also. I, didn't and work. I thought thought that maybe that was a mismatch because Sony goes for generally that older audience, and that was a movie that should have been with somebody who can make it appeal to an edgier, younger sensibility. And there are all kinds of movies that should have that kind of audience. Anomalisa was the, my favorite narrative that I saw 
at Telluride, and it's here too. And uh, you know, really cool Charlie Kaufman stop motion animated thing that buyers saw months ago, and I've heard from multiple ones. You know, how do you get the older audience to go see it? They're just afraid of that narrow theatrical audience. And Charlie Kaufman has a brand name of sorts, although obviously his last one, that he, the one he directed with with Philip Seymour Hoffman, the name of which Synecdoche. Thank you. If that York. one did, that one did not do well at all. Yeah, I mean, I, but but I don't think that's what they're afraid of. I think what they're afraid of is that this is a hipster art house movie and hipsters don't go to the art house so how do you get people to go see this movie that seems so general how can what's a hipster what, because, how, but how, how, how do you it, define a hipster god if i know but it's out if there. i wear a black hat am i a hipster well you'll see this movie i mean the well, audience of course is there. i will <laughs> of course i will so so let's just look at some of the films that played at telluride that are going to be in toronto and see where we are on on uh, I mean, forty five years is in the mix. It's looking good. Beasts of No Nation. What did you think of Beasts of No Nation? I really liked Beasts of No Nation quite a bit. It's certainly the strongest piece of filmmaking that Kerry Fukunaga has done. I've I mean, I thought Seen Nombre, his first feature, showed a lot of what you see coming to fruition here. Really strong visual sense dealing with these third world kind of issues, but not in a sort of a facile way, not in a very obvious kind of sense of remove. And um, the, this, the Idris Elba's very good as his warlord, but the child actor, Abraham Atta, is this remarkable discovery. It's interesting because so. there's this debate about whether it should be Idris Elba in lead and the child in supporting or the child in lead and interest in supporting. And I, there's so many debates going on But right this is a logistical, this is a practical these. question. The campaign question, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because the kid is the star. Elba is in But he's an unknown. Scenes. He's never acted before. Right. He's, I mean, there, I, I think there's those two, the, it's the same question with um, Room. Right. You know, is he the lead? Right. And, and she's also the lead? Right. Even though he's never, uh, he, he's not as well known. Yeah, in both cases, these are movies where the kid is in every scene in the movie. It's actually, they're voiceover narration. Idris Elba's an established star, and he's right. amazing. And people are really loving this guy left and right yeah, these days, yeah, so. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that'll be interesting to watch. Um, um, uh, Son of Saul came out of Telluride looking good. Uh, Steve Jobs is looking good. Is Spotlight it really looking good, Steve looking Jobs? Good. Maybe we should talk about that for a second because Steve Jobs was so hotly anticipated. And I would not say reactions were, say, on the level of 12 Years a Slave two years ago in that sense. I mean, is this really the best picture slam dunk that people were anticipating? Yeah, I it's- definitely think it is. And I, I have no doubt of it. I, In fact, I will... Um, I just want to see uh, something. Um, People who are tuning in don't know this, but Anne just Googled Steve Jobs, and, and the Alex Gibney doc came up first, which is kind of That funny. is interesting. Because they're a really unique point of comparison. I encourage people to watch Steve Jobs' Man in the Machine before they see Steve Jobs' Danny Boyle movie, because the timelines sync up. It's just that the Gibney doc goes further. Oh, it's a really good 90s. movie, and I highly recommend it. And there's no question that it, if you're interested... They're complimentary. If you're interested in Steve Jobs, right? right? Which well, you better be, part of it. You know? he doesn't have an iPhone. But He's a great. He's a great. He's a great filmmaker. Oh, that's so interesting. It's not even coming. Oh, here it is. Um, um, highest. So so far, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, but we're talking about what four to six reviews, something like that. How many? Where are they? Let's see. Um, 
I mean, they're they're gonna try to wait a beat now because it's gonna be a few weeks until Steve Jobs reintroduces itself to a whole bunch of people as the centerpiece at the New York Film Festival. I tell you, I like the movie. I think it's sort of an atypical Danny Boyle movie. It's certainly a very Aaron Sorkin. It's an script. Aaron Sorkin movie. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, and I had Danny a great Boyle time. had to service a very powerful, strong mm-hmm. writing voice. Yeah, and, and that's what you have to do. Um, yeah, in this situation, but he, it was a high degree of difficulty. And if, if if Danny Boyle hadn't done a good job, it would be very hard to watch this movie. Sure. Sure, in, in lesser hands, it could have fallen And the apart. actors delivered as well. Kate Winslet delivered, and Michael Fassbender delivered. Right. And I think they are both in the front. Absolutely, both of those actors are at the top of each of their categories yeah. right now. Deservedly so. But as in, in terms of, in, in, a, in a larger sense, as a best picture contender, I mean, it's it's what's unique about this movie is how it all takes place sort of in, in one location. I mean, technically Not it's one, several. three. But it feels like it's consistent. You're constantly it's backstage. backstage. It's like, it's this year's Birdman. But Bird there's Man many, many, sense. many different spaces right, from that San they Francisco use. Right, and, and a couple of very different, different yeah. you know, each of the sections is shot differently. Each of the sections looks different. Sure, he of does them, shift from, from 35, 16 millimeter to, to 35 right. to high res. Right. And he, and he totally changes the look of Steve Jobs and the look of, of uh, Joanna Hoffman. But the moment like Kate it's consistent. Like it, ke- it feels like you're in the same world the whole way through in a very fascinating way. I think I mean, that. I think that. I, well, first of all, I mean, obviously, we have to wonder if the movie, you know, is going to play. Is it going to get consistently good reviews? I believe that that both of those things will happen. And part of it is because it's so unusual. It isn't like any other movie. No one's ever made a movie like this, and that's an asset in this situation. Well, it's also, it's just so, the, the subject matter is familiar to the entire world on some level. There is a universal access point for this narrative. That's right. And if it didn't work, it would be the biggest embarrassment of the year, and the fact that it works as well as it does is certainly going to carry it. It but, feels a little bit like theater. You know, there's an aspect yeah. to it where it's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. But they are riding it, and they're running with it. And to the extent that it breaks a lot of the conventional rules of how Hollywood movies are supposed to be made, which is why Amy Pascal freaked out and didn't want a green light. Right, when um, David Fincher was right. attached. No, he, it was, it, it, she, was, she was panicking when Danny Boyle and Michael Fassbender oh, that's were attached. Right. At first she, she had Fincher. He bailed, right. you know, and then, and then, and then uh, Christian Bale left. And then she was stuck with Michael Fassbender. And what you have is a situation where a studio that is less secure, she was not on sure footing. She had a a lot of flops. She couldn't afford to take a risk this big. And it went over to to, uh, someone who could, and that was Donna Langley at Universal, who was on a roll. Right. It's kind of a fascinating backroom saga because it it sounds almost like something out of the movie Steve Jobs. All these people kind of yelling at each other. That's right. Around, it's very, to, very good. Except that a lot of it ended up on the email. Hat. Right. Exactly. That's why we. I mean, it was so much fun talking to Seth Rogen, you know, at the Steve Jobs party and sort of having him go, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was having his own problems with the Sony hack. Exactly. So he ended this. up having to. to uh, he said that the movie was a real distraction. For right. Him. Well, Seth Rogen is. Is fantastic in the movie. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think of him as being an Oscar contender 
for this part, but he I absolutely don't think is. He is. You don't think no, so? No, absolutely. Come not. on, that role is, is small. Amazing. It's not that. It's not that. Flashy. He's a pivotal character in the movie, and he's really funny. He's funny, but I, honestly, I think he did a great job. I think he was fantastic. You know what it is with movies like this? Like if you look at Spotlight, Spotlight has Mark Ruffalo and Michael Keaton in really great showy roles, and they're both they have great money scenes, a lot of emotion going on. They're both going to get nominated. And I think they're all going supporting, right? But the problem with it um, is someone like Rachel McAdams doesn't have a money scene, even though she's really good. And neither does Liev Schreiber, who's remarkably restrained. He's so good for the part he's playing, the, the, the editor. Right. But, but, you know, th- that's what has to – you have to have a, a – unless the movie's such a hit that it pulls people along. But the Waz is such an uh, iconic character in the Apple world. I got a kick out of actually meeting him. Yeah, he was at Telluride. Was I mean, fun. they already have him kind of pushing and this And it's all fictional. Bit. This movie is all fictional. So you don't think that it's... None of those I mean, things that happened with him, by the right. way, occurred. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> the, the nice thing is that nobody really cares. Well, I mean, it's almost I like I think it's some a, people will give the movie a hard time because there's a lot of making Steve Wozniak's up, not complaining make, no, about it. No, he's not complaining. He says, basically, he called John Scully and gave him a piece of his mind about Apple. Too. not he, he never spoke to Steve Jobs at any of these right. launches but he's cool with it it makes him I mean it makes him into he's a happy because he's got character. a great character and it makes him seem like he's the good guy in and that he's got romance Seth Rogen, you know laughing about the fro you know right right but, exactly but the uh, I, it's not I, that I don't think that's gonna happen so let's circle back to some of the movies that are actually at Toronto because uh Steve Jobs is not playing well, here, room is so. here room I thought was phenomenal um, I almost wish I hadn't read the book ahead of time and actually would encourage people not to because it's very, very, very faithful in a way that didn't allow me to have some of the elements of surprise that are embedded in the story. That being said, it's really well done. The first half is a thriller. The other half is something else altogether. Um, and it's, it's Thriller is a strong word. I would say there's an escape movie element. Which they're I in found prison thrilling. and they're trying to escape. Right, right, exactly. Thrilling but- isn't the word I would use for two people trapped in a room. Well, but I mean, what happens in towards the end of the first or second act, however you break it down, I, I found to be quite suspenseful and incredibly yeah. well done in terms of anticipating what was going to happen next from the perspective of this child, played by J- Jacob Tremblay, who's, again, in every scene. He's very good. And then good. Brie Larson finally getting her due after Thank short God. term 12 didn't get noticed nearly well enough. So... What do you think? Is that movie going to go a long way? It's a pretty small it film for this great, time of year. It got a great, great start. So A24, it was good that it was in Telluride. It really helped. And it will continue to move uh, forward here at t- Toronto, I think. It's a difficult film. It's not necessarily a crowd-pleasing film. But it played very well at Telluride, which is a good sign. Right. And it's I think got Brie all Larson these little touches. is totally in as far as that goes, as a Best Actors candidate. It's interesting because she also had that supporting role in... Um, train wreck this year and it kind of shows you and she got to that level where she's getting studio parts but isn't really being kind of and she was horribly wasted in the gambler which i exactly another one where it's just sort of the transition happened before the recognition she needed yeah this was the role she she deserved and and at this point could be the sort of pivotal thing where now we'll start to see her more casting agents know about brie larson that's not the issue it's a question of what movies are available and what she can get well, hopefully then this yes, leads to I better ones. So. Yeah, I hope so. Exactly. So what else do we have to look forward to here? There are a couple other things that were at Telluride well, that are still ongoing. Wait, let me go but, back um, to my... Uh, um, where was that? Oh, here. So basically, um, we have James White is showing here, which 
broke at Sundance, which a lot of people love. Um, Victoria is showing here, which played uh, Berlin, I guess. Berlin, right. The one-shot heist movie. Yeah, which people love. The Witch, which was a great hit at Sundance, which I adore. Another A24 movie. Incredibly fun. Should be in the midnight section, but what can you do? Although it's not opening until next year, so that's... That one will have to wait. The can movie bit. Youth is playing here, which I loved with Talked Michael Caine. Talked about Kane. that a lot. Yeah, Caine's yeah. great. And D-Pan is going to be D-Pan, seen here. D-Pan, the Palme d'Or winner at Cannes. Now, although there are a lot of films that are being announced already in terms of um, Oscar Oscars, uh, we do not know France yet. France has not come through. Well, there was a film called Marguerite at Telluride that some people think might might beat out D-Pan for that. Well, so. there's also the uh, the one that was in director's fortnight, De Plachin. Ah, uh, yes, Arnaud De, right. De Plachin film. I feel like that's less likely, I but agree who with knows. you. I would hope they wouldn't pick... I would I would not want them to pick that particularly. And then there was the one where Vincent Landon was the best actor winner. The Ah, uh, yes. Yes, um, the Stéphane Brise film, yeah. Measure of a Man. That's it. So then, all right, on the dock side, we have Janice Little Girl Blue, which is debuting here. Well, Janice no, it, Joplin, was, in, it uh, was in Venice. It right. already played in Venice. Got Janice, good reviews. Right, from Amy Berg, which is sort of a, maybe another Amy type of situation. Apparently, um, Amy comes out ahead on this, but I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not going to say. One step at a time. Mountains May Depart was in Cannes, which is Jean-Claude Very beautiful film. Um, Sicario must, is making its sort of homecoming now with... Um, with Denis Villeneuve, because that was at Cannes. Neither of us were huge Sicario fans, but it does have its supporters. Um, I think of it more as sort of like a B-movie. It's a thriller. It's a commercial movie. It's perfectly well-made, perfectly well-acted. Roger Deakins did an amazing job Very male, very misleading in terms of Emily Blunt (laughs) being the lead. She's very passive. Uh, Suffragette um, continues on. I think we were both kind of respectful of that movie. We were. It is what it is. It's a Carrie Mulligan movie. Uh, Viva, which I liked. Right. Did you see Viva? I didn't see it. That was sort of a nice little discovery That's for a lot of people. Acquisitions title. Right. It's a beautiful movie shot um, by an Irishman in Cuba with Cuban actors. It's a transgender tale, um, a father son story, uh, and very moving. Uh, audiences responded very well to it. And of course, speaking of transgender, what, one movie that we'll see soon enough is The Danish Girl, which premiered in, in Venice. And reactions were, it seems like, relatively strong. It's obviously You know, it's interesting. Mix, There's but... a perception that it got a mixed reaction, and I've been looking around trying to figure it out. I mean, I want to check it out for myself. Mm-hmm. It looks like the actors came out well. Right. It, basically, Which Eddie Redmayne, the talk is that he could win another Oscar. We have to see it. Um, Black Mass played very well in Venice. That uh, Johnny Depp was there. He participated in press conference and so forth. Not quite as well in Telluride. Didn't come to Telluride. It was a mistake to play it in Telluride, in my view. It's a very well-made, very commercial movie. Right. Warner well Brothers acted. gangster movie. We've been what seeing that for years. Nothing new. Absolutely nothing new. It's it's got a real kind of Scorsese light thing going for it on some level. And I mean, it, it, it even imitates Wise uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, very much so. There's a scene, an actual scene that's ripped off from Goodfellas. But I mean, there's also this thing with with Depp where it's like we just haven't seen him in a competent movie in so long, and he really goes for this monstrous role as this gangster. But yet we don't really understand him, and yet we don't know who I, he I is. I find that's the case. That and I, Joel that, Edgerton's character too. It really is doesn't supposedly dig such the a surface. strong. Yeah. It's very superficial. And he acts like he's like an idiot. He's a dumb cough. Right. 
he's got this crazy idea that the FBI can save this guy or, or that they can basically help him and that'll help them take down the mob or whatever. And it goes on for years and years and it's like, obviously this isn't working. Can no. you guys just bust him already? I know. It, and maybe that's part of what happened with no the Whitey Bulger. There's interesting but... women. There's one role for, two, the two, one woman is played, um... Well, there's Juno Temple is the hooker with the heart of gold, there, which is she's just in sort there of for what she always does. seconds <laughs> and it does not end, it does not end well. And then, and then you have Joel Edgerton's wife, who is... You know, actually, a good character, Julianne Nicholson. There is a pretty good. creepy moment That's between the best her scene in the whole and movie. Johnny Depp. Yeah, there are things to to appreciate about this movie. I would I, I wouldn't slam it necessarily, but I think that in the context of this other stuff we're talking about, a Toronto is the right place for it yeah. to be, and I bet it plays really well here. Right. My questions about its awards-worthiness are going to depend on whether the critics are really good to it or not. But isn't it just if they're good to death? I mean, isn't it, I mean, it's not about... Take, take away the other elements. It's a hard movie to be a big Oscar player, but could death really be a serious There's contender? a comeback tale there, yes. Right, and look, he's been nominated. But some people don't like the contact lenses and the makeup and the yeah. degree to which it's distracting. I did sort talk of to a, a relatively prominent actor in Telluride who wasn't on the record who said he was not keen on prosthetics. Anytime prosthetics enter into it, just it's just an automatic. Well, some people don't, some people feel that way. But I, I did hear a lot of complaints about that, so that could be a, that could be a factor um, going forward on on that. And and then uh, so let's we'll see how it plays here. Um, um, There's so many different things we could we could be going on about this for a really long time. But you know the other aspect of this festival that I really enjoy are the movies that exist entirely outside of this. There's the platform section, which is this new juried section at Toronto this year. I think the movie that most people are actually excited about who are kind of in the industry and are looking for movies that haven't really been discovered yet is High Rise, which is Ben Wheatley's movie with Tom Hiddleston. It's sort of this Can't uh, wait. London Love class his war. Stuff. Yeah, it sounds it sounds fantastic. It's, uh, and that's that's probably the highest profile film in that in that section. Uh, the other movie that was a bit of a discovery that I got to see a little ahead of time. Maybe I'm speaking out of school, but I do like London Road, um, which hasn't screened yet. It's a very strange musical. It's based on a British musical. Um, it's already played in England, so I don't think it's out of school to talk about it. But I haven't seen it, so that's yeah. a nice So that's an acquisitions title, and uh, it's 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 an art film. It is so cool. Everything in it is based on the actual transcripts of things that people said. It's about a serial killer. Oh wow! Just like in, the witch in uh, in a sort of down you know down market low low end neighborhood with the accents and everything. Hey, I can be down with that. I like dark movies along those lines. The funny thing is that the Midnight Madness section is usually where people gravitate when they want these really kind of twisted movies, and it's not generating quite as much buzz this year. There is one movie that you and I have both seen that's in there that will probably go over really well. It's screening right at the start of the festival, Green Room, Charlie Somnier's movie, which premiered in Cannes, and Patrick Stewart wasn't there. He's going to be here this year. Oh, he'll get some press. So that'll be a nice boost. So that one's getting out and there. And they finally again. got a distributor yep, for A24, it. Yep, A24, which right. seems like a good home. And they're going to try to push it out as a, as a big, fun movie, because it is. They're a very strong, up-and-coming distributor, I have to say. There, I mean, there are a lot of people now who are starting to kind of find their own groove in that sense. And 
people who are sort of untested and like Bleecker Street in the next few weeks and months. Well, they know what they're doing. They're right. old hands. But I mean, in the, in the context of a company, who knows? There's, I mean, they get the new movies and then they deal with the marketplace. Well, their movie that's going to be checked out here is Trumbo. Right. That's the one. With Brian Cranston as this blacklisted screenwriter who everybody's heard about if you know anything about film history, but it sounds like a bit of a challenge similar to this Sony Classics title we haven't seen yet, Truth, with Robert Redford as Dan Rather. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I, I laugh you instinctively laugh because it's just... He's so much older than yeah, Dan Rather. Yeah, also I saw a clip when they did the... There was this gala tribute at Lincoln Center last fall where they showed a clip from it, and mind you, it wasn't finished yet. It didn't look super promising, but... Who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to all this stuff. I mean, well, from a critical can, standpoint, I'll see it and then I'll If decide. you want to look at it from a certain point of view, uh, there are certain films that Sony Pictures Classics did not show at Telluride. Sure. And I think that that was because they were Toronto titles. And sure. Truth and For I saw whatever the light. that means. <laughs> you know, there's a difference. There is a difference. Right. Well, in any case, we haven't seen most of this stuff yet, so we'll have to... Regroup a little bit and gather our thoughts on Tuesday at noon at the Glen Gould. For anybody who's in town, come on by. We're going to do a live version of one of these, and if you're not, you'll be able to listen to it later in the week. But we'll have a lot more to discuss then. So until then, let's go actually see some movies here. Good idea. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.